and welcome back to Be You with Be You. In this episode, Brian sits down with Jarek Robbins, who was appointed the president of success earlier this year. Jarek is also a best-selling author, a motivational speaker, business coach, and good friend of Brian's. In this conversation, they dig into all things relationships, from why we need them, the ways we can show up in them, and how to keep them. Check it out. I'm talking about relationships all this month, so I thought it'd be great because as I've kind of watched your career grow, you know, one of the things that I've noticed really over the last, I think, four or five years is you kind of really finding a, a groove into relationships, probably because of your marriage and kids. And uh, But you've always had this huge interest in how to have a high quality relationship. So um, my outcome today is just to kind of glean some insights from you to share with everyone in the community on you know, what you've learned about relationships, mistakes that you've made in relationships, like what is some relationship advice? And sometimes I'll hate the word advice, but like lessons that we've learned or awareness and, and distinctions, um, because I know that uh, it's a practice. It's not like, oh, I have this best relationship in the world today, because if you don't continue to practice it, then you don't. And so I know that you've traveled all over the world. You've spoke on personal development, high performance, peak performance, but I feel like that you love talking about the quality of relationships, whether it's with a significant other or even friendships. I think especially when times get more challenging in anyone's life, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's an economy moving, financial situations, whether it's even having a child actually becomes more challenging for people just because there's a whole new set of responsibilities. But anytime things change in life and you kind of enter another level, the thing that generally helps people get through it is quality relationships. And whether that's the relationship you have with a friend, relationship with a spouse, even relationship with a pet can be incredibly soothing to help someone get through a challenging moment. And so that it, it, it's something that I think the relationships are really truly the, the, the thread that helps combine all of us together. And if you watch it, when major events happen in the world, whether it's a team winning like the Warriors won last night, if you watch what happens after the event, it's all the people coming together, either the Boston fans coming together to console and soothe each other or the Warrior fans coming together to celebrate and cheer on each other. Um, if you look at, you know, someone has a baby, it's people coming together to say, how do we support the family who now has this new child, whether it's friends bringing them gifts and food and supplies or, you know, family trying to huddle around them. If that happens for some, doesn't happen for all, but family huddling around to help. You know, people make a joke. People have a baby shower. Why don't we have a new business shower? Someone sets up a new business. Why don't we all bring them gifts and, and donate to help them get off the ground? I think it's fair because starting a new business requires a whole new set of energy and a whole new amount of you to come to the table and so bringing the community together to say, hey, we have you. We're proud of you. Congrats. It's a big step. We've got you. Let's help you get off the ground. I think anytime that something changes, community oftentimes is the thing that helps us move through it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and that's a community with with a relationship with your community, um, you know, and you can break it down to, you know, the the micro of like individual relationships or your significant other uh, I did like a little post today and the post was like 20 seconds. It's like, you know, what's the best lesson that you've heard or advice that you've gotten 
from relationships. And like recently I heard Jay Shetty, he's like, if there's one thing you can do for a high quality relationship, especially with a significant other is learn how to fight, you know, and the fighting word, like people could like tense up with, but what he's really saying is like, learn how to listen, learn how to work through conflict, you know, learn how to not take something personally, but just out of curiosity, how would you answer that question? So the best relationship insights I've gleaned over time is you have to practice showing up with a full cup and not trying to fill your cup from it. Meaning you take the time to do the interpersonal work, which is getting yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, whatever you want, whatever topics you want to use, but you fill it. You Fill yourself from the inside out till you're abundantly overflowing and then choose to go to that relationship to give. Now, that's a challenging statement because a lot of humans, even after being married, after having kids, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, still have some part of their life that feels empty, that feels like there's a void, that feels like they haven't quite filled it up to what they desire. And so, what you have to think of if you kind of men are better at this, but can't compartmentalize and say, hey, what's the first part of my life I feel the strongest in that I know if I put in a daily work effort, just a little bit of a habit every day, I could feel full in that part of my life. And once I feel full in that part of my life, now I'm going to choose to go to a relationship where I can share the abundance. But if I had a snack sitting next to me, And I had more than enough. I was full. And you came by and said, hey, can I have some? And I was like, yeah, dude, how much do you want? You want the whole thing, half of it, a piece of it, a bite, a nibble? Like, what are you thinking? It doesn't affect me whatsoever. I'm full. But if we were lost in the desert for three weeks and I was starving and you tried to take a nibble of this, man, I might turn into a vicious wolf trying to gnaw at your hand for reaching for my snack because I'm starving. And so often people get into relationships and and the thing that the love, the love snack that gets brought up between the humans feels scarce. And so when one human needs a bite or a nibble, they go, whoa, and they start to attack the person who truly, if they came full and satiated, they'd be thrilled to share it with them. Or another way to think about it is when the relationship started, they felt full. At some point, the dynamic changed and it felt scarce. And that's when those fights occur. Because now the person went to go take a nibble and someone's like, whoa, back up off my love snack. No. And it's only because the feeling in that moment was scarcity, not abundance. Because the truth is, if the person felt radically abundant in that moment and someone needed a love snack, you'd be like, shit, how much you want? Here, take it, all of it, go for it, have more, why not? And so that feeling, which means... You have to do the internal work first to get to that place where you can feel abundant. And once you feel abundant, you have to go to the relationship to share that abundance with the other instead of going to the relationship to try to get from the relationship. I always right. say if when you, you focus go, on what you can give, you always have equity in the relationship. And you know, you want to be a compliment to the person. You know, the person doesn't complete you, you don't complete them. You want to compliment that person. So show up not looking to take or to drain, but to give. Yeah. And the hope is the gift that they most want to abundantly share is the gift that you most want to receive and cherish and adore and feel honored that someone would share that with you. And hopefully the gift that you most want to share with them is the gift that they feel 
honored and humbled and excited and, and just really out of their mind, thrilled that you're willing to share that with them. And it's like, wow, that those ones are magic. When the right. gift each person wants to give is the gift the other one hopes and dreams to receive. And it's like, oh, bliss. You know, you can choose to feed fear or feed faith in any aspect of your life. And relationships are no different. And when you have a scarcity minded or you're not filling yourself up and you're not confident, you don't increase your self-esteem, you might feed your fear, which in fear, ego comes out a lot. And I see ego literally, uh, you know, destructing a lot of relationships, I think, um, you know, because they're, they're operating from that scarcity instead of from a heart center or a heart space. So, you know, what, what is your solution or recommendation that you would give someone to be aware of that. So a friend of mine showed me this and it was a concept of, of evolution and it was blended with a few different themes of psychology from Maslow to spiral dynamics to stages of interpersonal development that humans go through. And he basically said, I'm going to do rough chunks of time, but somewhere between 13 to let's say 13 to 28, we go through a stage of life where for most of us, we're just trying to like get our footing, set our foundation. Like we're trying to, can we, can we afford a car? Can we rent an apartment? Can we get a job? Can we, can we just get a foundation of our life set at this moment where we figure out like, Ooh, I can kind of survive on my own if I go out into the world. And so that's that first stage. The next stage up is let's say 28 to like 35 And in this stage, it's kind of like, hey, can I create social bonds? Can I create bonds with other humans in some way, shape, or form? Alignment of, I like sports, you like sports. Alignment of, oh, I like traveling, you like traveling. Alignment of, you know, the interest in things, volunteering, working out, learning, growing, personal development, whatever. But alignment around social bonds where you start to create friendships with other humans. Somewhere around 36 to 45 is when we feel if the foundation set, we have a community we've started to build of friends. At this point, we decide to go for it and try to like put our flag on our version of Everest. This is all performance based. What am I freaking capable of? Can I drive my life to the peak and throw a flag on that thing? And so if we think of those stages, so setting the foundation, social bonds, and then trying to put a flag on it. The interesting part is when someone hits 45 to 55, they usually look back and question everything they just did. <laughs> They're like, what was I doing? Why did I care about that? What, what was the freaking point, man? Uh, it's just a funny, they call it midlife crisis in the US. They call it other things around the world. But, but it's kind of this recognition of like, what was that? And, and we question it for the first time. He said the most interesting thing is, At each stage, foundation, social bonds, performance, we create stories. And there's three stories. There's the story of who we tell ourselves who we are. This is funny. Think back to 15-year-old you and ask yourself, what was the narrative in my head of who I thought I was at 15? And this one took a while. I had to take a pen and paper. I'm like, who did I think I was at 15, man? And I'm like, dude. I thought I was in such good shape. I thought I was like almost pro in basketball. I thought I had a six pack. Like I, I thought I was ripped. 
And I'm like, man, I had a lot of self-confidence. And then I saw a picture of myself at 15 and I'm like, man, that did not match reality. <laughs> like, man, I was pudgy. I was 225 pounds. I had a big old round face, long curly hair. And I remember watching some basketball, like I wasn't that good. But in my head, the narrative thought it was. The second one is the narrative you said out loud. If someone at 15 came and said, tell me about yourself, who are you? What would you have said out loud? And then the third is the people who really knew you. I call this your brand. Who were you to them? Meaning the people you crossed paths with at that stage of your life, who were you? If they were to describe you without you saying a word, if you said, you knew me at 15, describe who I was as a person. Does it match the any of the three match at 15? Now, what I've learned is as we evolve, for most of us, let's say there are three separate stories. Over time, as we evolve, they generally get a little more accurate and become kind of one. But in the beginning, for most of us, it might have been who I thought I was, who I said I was, and who I was might have been different things in the beginning because we're trying to figure ourselves out. And so what happens is at each stage, there's a new set of stories. At each stage, there's a new set of habits. Think of some of the habits, the daily habits you had at 15. I mean, man, I look back and go, thank God I'm alive. I had some bad habits at 15. One of my bad habits was eating an extra large cheese pizza by myself on a Friday. That's not a healthy habit, man. That doesn't add up to the life I really dreamed of. Like that, that trajectory is not a good one. I would have had diabetes and halfway dead by now if I would have continued the habit. But I had that habit at 15. So stories, habits, third one is beliefs. What did I believe about life at 15? What did I think was possible? What did I think was not possible? Who did I think I could become? I mean, I looked at an old journal. I used to goal set a lot. At 15, I saw a professional surfer in five years. I still can't surf, but my God, I had dreams at 15. So I looked at what did I believe was possible? I believed that even though I was great at basketball, somehow I'd become a pro surfer along the way. And I was like, man, what else did I believe at 15? And how did those change between that stage the next stage up, a little more reality, a little more life. What's the story? What's the beliefs? What's the habits? The next stage up, which I'm still in, I'm only 38, but 30, you know, 35, 36 to 45, that stage, what beliefs, stories, and habits? And if you look at the layers there, what's interesting is if in any of those stages, we just got wrecked. We had a bad experience. Someone, someone, hit us sideways in a way we didn't expect and it hurt our feelings or kind of got us stuck. If at any of those stages, something didn't quite line up, then by the time we're up here, we're running with a limiting deficit, something that exists in one of those stages that's keeping us anchored to something that won't let us move forward. And so oftentimes when ego comes up to bring this full circle back to the question, when ego comes up, it's often a defense mechanism based on something that's anchored in the past that happened at one of our major stages of development. That's either a belief that anchored us in, a story that anchored us in, or an experience that anchored us in, and we have not released it. Therefore, we're still stuck. And when something at this moment of life rhymes with something at that moment of life, it sparks an ego shield to try to defend the part of us that feels raw and sensitive from back then. And so to me, ego is nothing more than a shield of saying, hey, you're accidentally about to step on a wound of mine. 
I'm anchored to it and I will not let it go yet. Therefore, I'm going to react egotistically to defend myself so I don't get hurt again. And you'll always hear the phrase again because it's anchored to a past thing. Therefore, to them, it's a repeat, even though right now in the present moment, it might be the first and only time you've ever done anything like it. So when I hear again, I went, whoa, you're no longer reacting to me right now in this present moment. You're now choosing to react egotistically as a defense to a past moment you're anchored to. So when I hear ego, I I instantly go, "Uh uh-oh, they're anchored in the past somewhere. I need to get curious, find out where, and probably go find a therapist to help them release that. As you're talking about that, I think one of the things that I've been talking a little bit about is the relationship with yourself is more important than your relationship with someone else initially, because if you don't know who you are, then there's no way you can show up for that person. And that's kind of what you're saying. You have to be whole, complete. So you have something to you know run over and spill into someone else. But how would you suggest, what are some ways that you would recommend for someone to get to know themselves better? So one thing you just said, I'll, I'll, I'll add some, some flavor to it. Have to be whole and complete before you find someone to share with. People who don't feel whole will instantly feel empty and at a loss saying, what do you mean? Because I haven't figured myself out, I'm not allowed to have a relationship with another human. They'll instantly feel disqualified. That's why I said, importantly, find one category of your life that you feel abundant in, overflow the category of your life, and go to relationships to abundantly share from that category of your life. All of us are still working on some category of our life. So you can go to the category that you are abundant with and build relationships based on that category. It might be your health. You might be a champion health person, go to relationships and form social bonds based on health activities and share with people all the things you know about health and and, and, and get into that. You might be unbelievably financially abundant. Great. You feel overflowing in that area? Go connect with people in that area and share with them tips and insights and strategies and co-invest and all this stuff. You might be spiritually. I mean, I met people who tangible world stuff, they don't have it together. But my God, when it comes down to a loss of a family member, the depth of faith they have is unreal. Great. Get around people who have equal faith and share with them, overflow into them, abundantly you know, connect with them. Find the air of your life that is overflowing and choose to lead with that to create relationships and overflow into people with that category. Keep going. How to develop self or get to know self. The first place I would always start as simple as this sounds is the mirror. If you want to get to know yourself, spend an hour with yourself in the mirror. Someone's going, hour? This shit am I going to do for an hour in the mirror? I mean, watch this. Hold up your hand real quick and just try to look at your hand and see if you can find something, anything, a line, a crease, a wrinkle, a dot, Find something on your own hand that you've never seen before. Is there anything on your hand that you notice that you've never seen before? This callus right here just came up. Right? I have one right here. I've never seen that before. Now, how long have you you had your hand? As long as I'm alive, about 29 years. 22 years into this, and you still have this hand, and you've known this hand for 22 years. Some people know one hand better than the other, but... But if you're right-handed or left-handed, you've had the hand your whole life and you could look at it and within 30 seconds, notice something that you've never seen before on your own hand. Spend an hour in the mirror and notice everything about yourself you've never noticed about yourself and don't judge it. Well, watch this before I tell you what to do. Watch where your brain goes. Watch where your brain goes. 
Does your brain go to appreciating it? Does your brain go to acknowledging it? Does your brain go to honoring it? Does your brain go to being grateful for it? Or does your brain go to breaking it down, finding what's wrong with it, criticizing the parts you don't like? Watch what your brain is trained to do in the observation with the most important starting point of relationships, which is the relationship with yourself. Most of us have a brain that's trained to criticize ourself. If we've trained our brain to criticize, I don't know about you, how good do you feel hanging out with a human who constantly criticizes you? Not good. No. I mean, most of us run from these humans, but most of us are these humans to ourselves. If you sit in the mirror for an hour, watch how quickly your brain tries to criticize yourself. And then if that's what your brain is trained to do, think of what's going to happen over time when you train your brain to look at another human. You've trained the brain to look at yourself and criticize criticize, your brain is going to look at another and over time, it's going to start doing the same shit to them. And so if you want to start with the self-work, you need to start with how do you train your brain to see yourself and to honor, appreciate, feel grateful, cherish? How do you train your brain to see yourself and do all the habits and build all the muscles you need so that by the time you train your brain to look at another human, that you want to be in relations with, it does the same thing you've trained it to do. What's beautiful about this person? What do I honor about this person? What am I grateful for with this person? What do I really cherish about this person? What do I appreciate about it? Can you train your brain first with yourself to do that and second to then do it with other humans? If you can, how good does it feel to hang out with a human being who's always pointing out things you're good at and things where you're doing well and honored and humbled to see you succeed and proud and thrilled that you're here? Everyone loves to be around that human. I have a basketball story. I remember I played probably one of the worst pickup games I've ever played in my life. I just missed every shot, couldn't get a rebound. I was a mess in college. And there was this one kid who was a walk-on six, seven, 300 pound mammoth of a dude who was a badass three shooter who played on our, our team at USD. He was on my team during the pickup game. Because of him, we won the game. The other team couldn't keep up with him. I sucked. He killed it. We got in the car and he, he hit me. He goes, how do you think you did? I'm like, dude, thank God for you. I mean, I missed the shot. I didn't get the rebound. I did this. And he's like, dude, you need to work on your head. And I said, excuse me? He said, you did great. You passed me the ball in the critical moment, which got us. I mean, you got the assist. You stole the ball that one time in a game-winning moment and helped us out. He could see all the things I did good. I could only see all the things I messed up on. And he was right. I needed to go home. I needed to sit in the mirror and I needed to work on my head. I needed to say, why is my brain focused on all the things I did wrong instead of the things I did right? And how did I train my brain to do that? And how do I retrain my brain to find out how to do right and how to focus on what's good about it and then how to do that with other people? I also found out in that moment, he says, how do you think I did? And I was like, oh man, you did great. And I was like, you hit this shot and got that rebound. I mean, you're the reason we won. And he said, see, for some reason, you've trained your brain to see greatness in others, but you can't see it in yourself yet. And I went, that's really interesting. Trained your brain to see greatness in others, but you haven't trained to see it in yourself yet. And I remember I wrote that down and went, shit, that's true. How did, how did that happen? And, and again, stories, beliefs, and habits. Somewhere along the way, I trained my brain how to see greatness in others because I love humans, but I forgot to train it at that stage of my life how to see it in myself. And so where you go, the very first most simplistic work you can do is get in the mirror. Get in the mirror and train your brain to see greatness in yourself. I love it. And what about for, um, I, last question, just because I know a lot of people are in relationships or they're striving to be in a relationship 
Some of them might be new relationships. They might be middle relationships. And there's always going to be conflict. But if you were telling a couple to set themselves up for long-term successful relationships or really create a deeper level of meaning within the relationship, something you and I talked about two years ago, I don't know if you remember this or not, but with you and your wife, you were saying, listen, this is a lifelong process and I want to continue to grow and grow grow as she grows and as I grow. I don't want it to be surface or either one of us stay there. I want it to, to grow even deeper meaning. And you were doing work. I think at the time you were doing Gottman, I think the Gottman method, you know, because I believe that that's what we're all seeking. I believe the quality of our life is in direct proportion to the quality of relationships that we have, that we're keeping and that we're developing, you know, and for the people that are just getting started, what is it that they can do to really grow those relationships and, and some of the practices that you would recommend that they seek out and, and practice? There's a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff. The, the simplest thing you can do to massively improve relationships, it's a form of therapy. It's called imago therapy. And in imago therapy, they teach a very specific listening technique. People will say the same thing consistently. It feels robotic. Did you ever learn how to drive a stick shift car? Did it feel robotic? when you were trying to figure out how to get your left foot to push the clutch and your right arm to move the thing and not crash. They go, yeah. They go, great. Everything feels robotic in the beginning. You ever learn how to kick a soccer ball? Yeah. Did it feel robotic when you were lining up the first time and trying to get your leg to kick it without falling? Yeah. Okay, good. Everything feels robotic in the beginning, but you got to practice enough until it becomes natural. Same thing like driving a car, same thing like kicking a soccer ball and everything else. And so Imago therapy has three pieces. The first piece is repeating back what you were heard, meaning you say something and I go, ah, if I heard you right, it sounds like what you're saying is, and say back exactly what you heard, exactly what you heard. Don't paraphrase it, say back exactly what you heard. Now in that moment, the person might go, no, that's not what I said. And you go, ah, can you say it again so I can hear what you said then? Please clarify. I must've missed it. I'm sorry. But if you got it, you say back exactly what you heard. Second piece, you acknowledge it. Acknowledge what they just said. Wow. I Thank you for sharing that. That sounds very important. Wow. That that's I can see why that's a big deal. Acknowledge it in some way. Number three, empathize with it. Based on that, that is a big deal. Guess how it might feel to have to be in that situation, to be sharing that info and go, you know, wow, it sounds like you're saying this. I can really, really appreciate that. That's uh, Thank you for sharing. That's important. And, you know, that must feel really exciting. It must feel really exciting. And the person goes, no, it's not exciting. It's kind of confusing. And you go, oh, it must be... Sounds like it must be confusing. And they go, yeah, that's what I just said. And you're like, wow, I can really see that. Someone's like, oh, man, this guy really listens. I mean, if you want to improve the quality of your relationships, improve the quality of your listening. And how you can get better at listening is just- And acknowledging. I think one of the important things is you can't acknowledge someone's feelings or what someone's going through. And they don't feel seen. You know, everyone has a need to, they, everyone wants to feel seen. How can you see someone if you don't listen to what they're going through and uh, acknowledge that? It's a practice, right? You, you can, you have to continue to do it. Another great lesson that a lot of people might struggle with is make quality time to invest in the ones that, that you love. Priorities are never in conflict or that are right. most important to you. I think the quality of your relationships is determined by the quality of how much space you have to care. And so if you look at a human, if you have someone you're sharing with and their response is, I don't care. It doesn't mean they're a bad human. That just means if 
they were this circle, 100% of their circle is full. There's no space to care. And so I've learned I have to purposefully start to cut pieces of my circle off and not make them available to any other humans for any reason whatsoever, because that part of my circle is for my family. And no one and nothing can ever enter that part of my circle. It is completely guarded, is completely protected. It is radically off limits to everyone else in my life for any reason. And so in order to have space to care deeply about the ones I love, I have to defend space, mental space, emotional space, physical time space that belongs to my family and no one else. And in order to defend that space, it gives me capacity to care about them deeply. And so I've learned over time, you hear people say, as I've gotten older, I realized the most valuable thing I had was my time. And all that means is it's my space. The capacity to carve out space was the most valuable thing that they can give away to someone else. And so that ability to go, ah, that space is critical, crucial, sacred space that belongs to the ones I love because that's the space I care about them in all day, the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions. And so that's a major objective to me is always defend that space. It's the home space. It's my my wife and child space and nothing gets to exist in there except for them. Um, and I know that you're doing a lot of new things now. You just entered into uh, some new ventures. And yeah. so for uh, anyone that's listening in, one of the things that I'd love for you to do is just kind of share with them where they can follow you and then, you know, kind of share with me like some of the things that are exciting right now going on with your life and, and what you're the most excited about. My son just turned two. I'm really excited about that. He can say two, which is really cute when he says it way more cute than me. Um, I'm really excited about watching him grow and, and seeing him develop. I'm excited about working on being a better husband. I've, I took on a few more work opportunities in my life right now and it's eaten up a significant amount of my weekly time. I had my schedule set where I was working three days a week, four hours a day, and I was spending the rest of the week being a great husband and great dad. And now I've taken on an opportunity that takes up all five days of the week and a little bit of the weekends from time to time. And, and so for me, that's a non-negotiable. That's, that's frustrating to me because it's taking away from the most important parts of my life. And so one thing I'm excited about is dialing back the ability to perform at a high level in smaller amounts of time so that I can widen back out the amount of space I have to be a great husband and a great father. That's very important to me. So that's an exciting objective I'm pushing towards. Uh, find me, you can find me on Instagram. I'm usually posting funny things and weird things and silly <laughs> things and anything that comes to mind. I posted something critical and important today, which was don't argue with people on social media. There was always a kid who, who ate glue in your class as a kid. You're probably arguing with that kid. It's not worth it, which made me laugh when I posted it. Someone did post back and said, hey, I ate glue. That's not nice. And I was like, I won't argue with you. I agree. It's not nice. Let's keep moving. But it's just silly things. I like posting stuff to either make people laugh. I, I got to meet with Shaq a few weeks ago. And I asked him, I'm like, what are you up to at this stage of your life? You've been, you're done playing basketball for 20 years. You're obviously a business mogul. You're on TV all the time. But what are you really up to? He said, the only thing I'm interested in this stage of my life is making people smile. I went, that's cool. That's cool, man. I said, how do you make people smile? And he said, just make them feel good about themselves. Point out, point out what's great about them. Give them a high five. Tell them hello. Take a picture with them. Do anything. Buy them a bike. I don't know. Anything I can do to make someone smile and have a little bit better day. He goes, that's my main objective at this stage of life. 
And you can tell it. He has that heart. He always has. He's he's always been a big jokester. I think that's a great challenge for everybody. Increase quality of your relationship. You know, focus on giving someone that gift of, of making them feel good. So what can you do today to make someone smile? I think that's a great way to say um, goodbye to everyone. Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you soon. I know I miss you. Hopefully we'll be able to connect when I'm in Orlando. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of BU with BU. Please rate, review, and subscribe. For more content from Brian, connect with him on social at Brian Undy or shoot him a text at 502-221-9798. You can also visit his website, brianunderwood.com.